0: You may be seated. Well, uh, that was amazing. I <laughs> felt like I just had to say that. Um, the sermon text is Matthew 7 verses 24 through 29. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up uh, there or is the third scripture reading in your bulletin. Uh, before we begin, uh, let's pray together. Holy Father, the preaching of the Word done rightly shall be, as the Word tells us through the Apostle Paul, accepted not as the Word of men, but as it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in those who believe. And so by your Spirit, then, Lord, drive your Word into the hearts of all of us, so we may live a life of repentance and faith, living for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Well, it's good to be with you. Uh, Like any New Year's sermon, uh, you probably expect uh, me to, at some point, kind of trash New Year's resolutions. That happens a lot and talk about how useless they are. And now, the only resolution you need is faith in Jesus. And while it's true, of course, that you should resolve to believe on Christ uh, each and every day and never let your faith waver. And that is the most important resolution of all. While that is true, I'm not going to trash resolutions uh, in general. We often uh, laugh at people uh, who get their gym membership in January, and then you go in February and no one's there. Uh, Or uh, people who start a a new diet uh, and two weeks uh, go by, and you ask them how it's going, and uh, they have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, (laughs) we, We often, however, don't acknowledge... Uh, that it's not the resolution that's the problem at all. Resolutions uh, are perfectly fine. It rather was the person's heart, their ability to follow through, their desire. Because everything they said they were going to do, uh, they didn't do. Their resolution was in word only, in word alone. But resolutions are fine they're good. Nothing wrong with the resolution. They're simply goals that we commit ourselves to. The problem comes when we don't have the desire to follow through, when the desire to be undisciplined outweighs the desire uh, for discipline or consistency. That's the problem, not with the resolution. If you have ever uh, been someone who's prone to quitting resolutions uh, that you make for yourself, especially this time of year, It's because your heart, uh, at that moment, was standing on sand. And when the storm comes, you sink, you fall. And this is why resolutions, for many people, are a fool's errand. They like the idea of the resolution, but no real desire, they have no real desire to follow through with that resolution. In a similar way, as we will see today, standing on Christ, in word only, is a fool's errand. Standing on Christ in word only is a fool's errand. And our outline will look like this. First, we will consider a fruitful hearing, a useful hearing, and then a trembling response. And so, first, let's draw our attention to verses 24 and 25 and consider fruitful hearers. Our text today is the conclusion to the famous. sermon on the mount and while the sermon is the subject of course of much debate its primary point is quite simple and it is wholeness or completeness but what do i mean let's flesh that out a little bit the religious leaders the scribes pharisees priests of jesus's day uh, were very much following the same sins as their ancestors As the Lord said through Isaiah, and he said similar things through many prophets, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Jesus himself applies this verse from Isaiah to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 15. Now Jesus in this sermon is not giving a law never heard before. You see some interpreters say want to say Jesus is giving a new law in the Sermon on the Mount, but rather he is rightly interpreting his law, the very law that the religious leaders were leading people astray uh, with their wrong interpretations. Jesus, as the great lawgiver in the Sermon on the Mount, you see, is rightly interpreting his own law, and in so doing, he's teaching what life in the kingdom of God is to look like. And so we find that it is to look like our outward lives matching our inward lives. You see, the one major issue with the scribes and Pharisees was that their outward religious life did not match their hearts in any way. Jesus, throughout the whole sermon, is arguing that God doesn't care about your prayer. He doesn't just care about your prayer, He also cares about your heart during prayer. He doesn't just care about your generosity. But are you being generous so that others see that you are being generous? God doesn't just care that you don't cheat on your wife physically, but he also cares if you are considering it. Right? If you are considering cheating on your wife. He cares if you are lusting after women in your mind, in your heart. Your inward religious life is to match your outward. And your outward religious life is to match your inward that is the Sermon on the Mount. This is what I mean by wholeness. This is what Jesus is calling us to. In Matthew 5.48, a very famous verse, uh, you probably heard it before, where Jesus says to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It is a quite an unfortunate modern translation there. Um, it's kind of an old use of the word perfect. Uh, maybe a better modern way to put it is, uh, be complete as your heavenly father is complete, or be whole as your heavenly father is whole. In other words, you see, God is never inconsistent, his actions perfectly flow from who he is to the extent that there actually is no real difference between God's attributes and his acts. God's attributes are always in act because he is the God who is, he is perfect. Complete, whole, consistent. And so, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is calling us to a life where our hearts match our lives and our lives match our hearts. He calls us not just to give to the brother or sister who is struggling, but to do it because it pleases God and do it with a joyful heart, which is impossible unless you're in deep communion with the Lord of the Sermon on the Mount our Lord Jesus Christ. One writer puts it like this, because Jesus embodies the kingdom of God, it is only in living in communion with Jesus, and so in communion with the Spirit of God, that the faithful are empowered to live within God's kingdom. A life that is inscrolled within the Sermon on the Mount. You see, apart from Christ, you can do nothing. But empowered by His Spirit, being conformed to His image, we can have hearts that match our actions. We can live a life that is not compartmentalized like the Pharisees. You see, so many of us have our religion over here in one box. Our, our pet sins we don't want anyone to know about in this box. Our family over in this box, our work life in this box. But there's no boxes for those who want to live in the kingdom of God. There's to be no boxes, no compartments in your Christian life. Jesus is king over every box of your life. Life in the kingdom under the reign of King Jesus is a life where one's outward life matches their heart. What is, what is one with true faith supposed to look like then? What's one with true faith supposed to look like? Well, it looks like people who serve with joy and gladness not to receive anything in return for their acts of service. It looks like those who love those who revile them or sin against them. It looks like a man who treats his wife in a loving way even when she disrespects him. Or a wife who submits to her husband with a good attitude even when he is being a jerk. Which can happen. It looks like a little boy who shares with his sister with a good attitude. The good attitude is a, is a key point there. Even when the sister didn't share with him earlier that day. Yeah, I'm speaking to you back there, children. You, you see, only, only, only whole people can be holy people. Right? Only, only whole people, W-H-O-L-E, can be holy people. H-O-L-Y, in case you were wondering. And this is what the Sermon on the Mount calls us to. And so when Jesus closes the sermon, he says, where our passage begins, he says, therefore. And that is what the therefore is there for. The one who listens to his words and does them is the one whose outward religion matches his inward religion, unlike the scribes and the Pharisees. However, the therefore is there, not only because it summarizes the the sermon as a whole, but it also is following statements of Jesus about the final judgment. So that should be noted as well, his return. Uh, This means that when he says, this person may be compared to, uh, that could be also translated like, will be likened to. It's in the future. Will be likened to. Uh, That is about the end. In, in one sense. In other words, Jesus is saying, He who listens to my words, unlike the Pharisees, in the end will be likened to a wise man. So in, in, it's, it's this, it's, this is the sense. In the end, if you listen to me, you will be declared by God to be wise. If you don't, you will be declared by God to be a fool, whom the Lord will declare to that fool, I never knew you as he says right prior to this passage. However, anything in Scripture that's true on a large scale is also true on a small scale. Surely we want our whole lives to be built on the solid rock, but each day of your life can either be built on sand or built on Christ. And so we see it is not simply the hearer of the word, as James says, but the doer of the word who has a sure foundation. For also, as James says, faith without works is dead. Said another way, real faith in Jesus bears fruit. Real faith bears fruit. As Jesus says earlier in the sermon, you know a tree by its fruit. Uh, Luther said, you probably have heard this quote before. I think it's a loose quote. Uh, We are justified by faith alone, but that faith is never alone. Uh, You see, true saving faith is always accompanied by all other saving Graces, And so Christ is saying here that if you hear my word and it bears fruit in your life, then you know you are standing on a sure foundation. You're standing on a solid rock. And he who is the word is a rock to those who obey the word and thereby are living an uncompartmentalized life. You know, one thing most people can agree on when it comes to politics, it's not that many things, but this is one of them, Uh, is that most politicians are untrustworthy and slimy, right? With a lot of them, you can just tell that what they're saying probably doesn't match the way that they actually live. And it's sort of repulsive to us. They have a compartmentalized life. In the public eye, they're all about God and family. In their private life, they hate the church and their homes are in disarray. Or maybe in the public eye, they claim to love the environment, but in their private life, they couldn't care less. Is there anyone who really likes or respects a person who talks the talk, but doesn't walk the walk? Probably not. Well, Jesus doesn't either. And that, in summary, was his major issue with the Pharisees. How often, we need to ask ourselves, how often do we live up to our own standards. You know, we say, uh, you know, we are a Christian home. We're to teach our kids the faith. We're to have a godly, peaceful marriage. But is that actually what your home looks like? We say we're, we're going to be generous. We, we are generous, compassionate people. That's not the government's job. It's our job. Okay. Does your bank account reflect that standard? We, you may say, we are to work heartily for the Lord and not for men. Would your coworkers say that about you? Once I heard a, another pastor uh, give this illustration, and I forget who, I think it might have been Tim Keller. He said, imagine you had a, an invisible tape recorder around your neck your whole life. And this tape recorder recorded every standard you ever mentioned, and only the standards that you mentioned. Anytime you said, that's wrong, that's right, what that person is doing is evil. You know This is good. Uh, it only recorded the standards. And then imagine that in the end, that was played back to you and your life was judged by that standard. You get the point. And that's not even God's standard. That's your own standards. And certainly God's is higher than our own. Would you live up to it? Christian, through communion with Christ in prayer, worship the Word, by the power of His Spirit that He's poured out onto us, we can have an uncompartmentalized life. We can begin to uncompartmentalize our lives. It's a fair way to put it. Get rid of the boxes. Let your faith flow into every aspect of your life, for all your life requires allegiance, to Christ. And this is what Jesus came to do, as it says in Titus two. He gave himself for us to make a very compartmentalized, useless people. No. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And so having considered the fruitful hearer, let's also consider. Uh, The next couple of verses here, look at a useless hearer in verses 26 and 27, where it tells us that the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and its collapse was great, and everyone who hears these words does not act on them will be like that foolish man who builds their house on sand, And certainly there are echoes of Ezekiel 13 here, which was our first scripture reading uh, this morning. Uh, You see, the religious leaders of Jesus' day were making the same mistake as their forefathers who killed the prophets. Ezekiel critiques those prophets as those who whitewash walls, pretending that everything is okay when it's not okay at all. And because of that, God will tear down the walls. Certainly a major aim of this text is the condemnation of the Pharisees and those who follow them. For because of this mere outward religion of Israel, and especially the religious leaders, and rejection of God, the Messiah, their walls were torn down in 70 AD at the destruction of Jerusalem by the hands of the Romans. So that's certainly an aim here given that Jesus is particularly critiquing the Pharisees and religious leaders throughout the whole entire sermon on the Mount, over and over again. Uh, But again, this this certainly applies on a smaller scale as well, applying to each of his hearers on an individual level, like the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, as we read from Proverbs 2. Wisdom leads to life, foolishness to destruction. And so we see in, in these couple of verses, useless hearers, Those who hear the words of Christ only. They hear, but the word doesn't come to them with power and great conviction. They hear, maybe even like what they hear, but it bears no fruit. They hear, maybe claim that they follow, but behind closed doors, they're rejecting all of Jesus' words through their actions that they have heard. They are useless hearers being referred to here. It would have been better for many of these individuals to have never heard, the words of Jesus, unless, of course, they repent and bear fruit in keeping with repentance, as John the Baptist says. There are other individuals who truly believe, but fall into the same old patterns of outward religion. I'm sure all of us, I know I have, have had times in my life where I have fallen into the old patterns of mere outward religion. Uh, Maybe they have never been discipled and taught the word and struggle living a habitual uh, in a habitual state of immaturity. That happens as well. And watching a, a little babies learn to crawl. I've gotten to watch lots of little babies learn to crawl and then walk. Um, is, is, it's a very interesting thing. With all my kids, I, I paid very close attention to what their body struggled with at each stage. It was interesting to me. And interestingly, but also kind of expectingly, uh, core strength was the limiting factor every time. When a baby starts to crawl, the crawling will develop their leg strength so that eventually they can stand up and hold the side of a couch. But why can't they let go of the couch? What happens when they do? Their upper body starts to wobble and then they fall because they have no core stability, no core strength. At all. So over time, as they're walking on the couch and holding different things and pushing those little toy carts, their their abs and their back, lower back, are strengthened, and their obliques, and so they develop this core strength that enables them to then walk on their own without holding on to anything. Uh, and of course, it has to do with coordination and fear to some degree. Uh, but its core stability is a major limiting factor. They have no stability. And Christian, why aren't you maturing in the faith, if you're not? Why aren't you maturing in the faith? Why can't you grow? Why are you still on milk? Why are you still crawling? If this is you, it's because you lack stability. You have no stability. Stability comes from not simply hearing Jesus' words, but out of a heart of gratitude, actually following his words in faith. By faith. Christian, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives you a way of life that leads to true joy, true happiness. We are all pursuing joy and peace, but often seek it our own way, as if that will lead to happiness. Our own way keeps us like babies, however, trying to stand, but never really able to walk. If we follow Christ's way of life, no, your, your life will not be perfect, but you will flourish. You will flourish mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Living a life pleasing to God is what you were made for, you see. And if you live in accordance with the way that you were made, you will flourish. Now, some of you, uh, though, aren't even to that point see Christians like this all the time. They're not, even, they're not even to the point where they should be considering, am I just a hearer or am I a doer? Because they rarely actually even hear the words of Christ. They have no desire to read their Bible. They rarely come to church. They neglect worship. They have no desire for things like Sunday school or Bible studies of any kind. If this is you, you are in a dangerous position, a dangerous spot. If the devil comes and tempts you, what defense do you have? When the devil came and tempted Jesus, what defense did he have? The Word. The Word. During times of revival in church history, something you always see is a deep longing for the Word. The Word read, taught, and preached. And so, Christian, long for the Word. And do the Word, and your house will be built on the solid rock on which we stand, Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we've considered a fruitful hearer and also a useless hearer. Now let's consider this, a trembling response. Let's draw our attention to these last couple of verses. This is, you could say, the conc- Matthew's conclusion to Jesus' conclusion on the Sermon on the Mount. In these last couple of verses, Matthew concludes this a section of his gospel account, noting that the crowds were amazed at the Sermon. They were amazed at the sermon. He also tells us why they were amazed. He taught as when having authority, Matthew says, unlike the scribes. Interestingly, when we finish the gospel account, we learn that almost everyone turned away from Jesus, didn't they? Many in these crowds turned against him in the end. And so you see, you can be amazed. You can be amazed at Jesus. You can be amazed at a sermon Even a sermon done by Jesus, apparently. And you can read your Bible, be utterly amazed at what you have read, but unless you are born again, unless the Spirit has brought the Word to your heart with great power and great conviction, no fruit will come from it. My friends, I hope you are amazed at the words of Christ. I hope you are. But do you stop there, like many in these crowds? Wow, that was amazing. And go about your business, living your un, your very compartmentalized life. I've been amazed at many things that wrought no fruit in my life. So have you, I'm sure. I've seen many opening acts at concerts. Wow, that was amazing. Never bothered looking up the band ever. I've, I've seen uh, many movies, utterly astonish, astonished at them, but didn't bother sharing it with anyone. I was just amazed at it, and then I moved along. Had many amazing meals, and I have totally forgotten. You see, it's not enough just to be amazed. It's not enough just to be amazed at Christ's teaching and the doctrines of our great faith. Rather, do you desire a real communion with our Lord? We must seek Him above all else, begging Him to do a mighty work within us, so that we may live a life worthy of His gospel. I remember when I first um, repented, turned to Jesus. In the early years uh, of, uh, of my walk, I was at a, a Bible study, and I was struggling. It was like maybe six months uh, being a Christian and sober and everything. And I remember telling the, the people at the Bible, so I just can't open up my Bible. I don't know what it is. It's like a force field. I remember I used that word. There's like a force field around it. I can't open it. It just, I don't know why. I did like reading it, but now I have no desire And and they all prayed for me. We prayed and read my Bible every day since, for the most part. Um, In other words, if you're struggling, if you're struggling to pray, pray. If you're struggling to read the Word, pray. If you're struggling to tremble at the Word of God, ask God to give you a heart that trembles at His Word, so that you may live a life worthy of His gospel. God loves those prayers. Sometimes we feel guilty. I can't read my Bible, and I can't tell God that. How silly. He will hear you and give you a desire for his word. If we are not a people who tremble at his word, we must beg of him, Christ, help me to tremble so my house may be built on you and you alone. In Isaiah 66, 2, the Lord says this, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things, and so they came into being, declares the Lord? These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit, and who tremble at my word. Who tremble at my word. Are you one who trembles at the word of God? Or do you shrug at it? Do you hear the word of God and are filled and satisfied? Do you read the word or hear the word read or preached like it's any other word? Or do you read or listen like it was God himself speaking to you? Because, Christian, when the word is read, or when the preaching of God's word is faithful to his word, it is God speaking directly to you, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, in discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Will you make the word central in your life this year? Will you build your house on sand, on the word of our King? For on Christ the solid rock we stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Do you believe that? If so, you will understand that the standing on Christ in word only is truly a fool's errand. But standing on him outwardly and inwardly is life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, our great God and King, the gospel we know goes forth for the obedience of faith throughout all the nations. And so may our lives bear witness of the reality of your gospel and how it has been brought to us with great power and conviction. So we pray in the name of our great Messiah.